The first three sayings of the cross were done early at the beginning. The crucifixion, uh, crucifixion began about 9 a.m., somewhere during that hour. It's kind of uh, a flexible time, but somewhere during that 9 a.m. period. It was shortly after that that he spoke his first words. It was a prayer to his father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was shortly after that that he spoke his second words to the thief on the cross next to him. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. It was shortly after that that he said his third words spoken to his own mother, providing care for her. He said, Woman, behold your son, as he pointed her to John. And to John he said, Behold your mother, as he appointed him to care for his mother, even in his dying words. Those first three sayings were spoken early on in the morning. Then something happened. Something changed. At noon, the sky grew dark. Jesus entered into the most intense of his suffering. And the last four sayings came at the end. The last four sayings came quickly, right before he died. There was that moment in between where there was darkness. And it was after that, uh, that darkness, it was in the midst of that darkness, that he spoke uh, these four words. This fourth saying, I should say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Doctors tell us that as a man is being crucified and being hanged upon the cross, that, that every breath is painful. It's almost impossible to breathe. Just to get enough air, oxygen to, to survive and to, to live for the next breath, he had to strain every muscle and pull yourself up and push your feet uh, against those nails where they are nailed onto the cross just to get a gasp of breath. And yet at that time when Jesus was suffering the most, he strained every muscle. He pushed hard against those nails in his hands and in his feet. He inhaled deeply, not just enough to get a breath, but enough to speak. And, and not just to speak, but to cry with a loud voice. This was a momentous occasion. And it so affected those around him that heard it. that I can't even imagine what the response could have been. The writer in our text, Matthew, as he was recording this, years after it happened, he recorded it in the original language that it was spoken. The, the very syllables that came out of Jesus' mouth are recorded for us in Hebrew and in Aramaic. The name for God is in Hebrew, El, and the I on the end is the personal pronoun, My. He used the Hebrew name for God, Eli, Eli, and then he used Aramaic, the common spoken language that Jesus used all the time that the disciples grew up with. Lama Sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? The very syllables that fell from Jesus' lips are recorded in the scripture because they made such an impression upon those who heard that woeful cry out of the darkness. And I, and I think it reminds us of the, the whole significance of this, that Jesus was our sin bearer, and that as our sin bearer, he was separated from God. In that darkness, he was separated from the Father. And out of that darkness, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is what our text says. This is the fourth saying from the cross, and we're going to look at it 
backwards. We're going to start at the end and work to the beginning. And look at the, the three different parts of this saying from the cross. We're going to start at the end because that is where the, the worst word is, forsaken. The last two words, forsaken me. What does that mean? What does it mean that God the Father has forsaken God the Son? What does that mean that God has forsaken Jesus Christ? It is indeed the most wretched condition to be in, to be forsaken. It's one of the saddest words in the English language. I, I think of a couple images that come to mind when I think of that word forsaken. Picture a bride who is left at the altar on her wedding day. She's forsaken by the groom. And what's supposed to be the happiest day of her life and now she's crushed. Her hopes and dreams are lost. And there's nothing but sadness and despair. Forsaken. Uh, imagine a, a puppy, a little helpless puppy, taken out into the woods and abandoned and left on its own. There it is, cold, hungry, afraid, vulnerable to nature. Forsaken by its own owner. It's a sad picture. Or even worse, imagine a baby, a child abandoned by her own mother, forsaken. Imagine how terrible, how, how pitiful that picture is. And perhaps the worst picture is the picture of Christ on the cross, in darkness, as the Father turns his face away, and he is now forsaken. He's separated from God. I think this is a picture of Hell, because hell is indeed separation from God. I, I know the Bible doesn't teach that explicitly. You can't point to a verse where it says hell is separation from God. But I, but I think you can draw that conclusion from the, the meaning of hell and from the meaning of the word death. And I'd like to, to point you to Revelation 20, verse 14. At the very end, when Christ returns and there's judgment, the great white throne judgment, those are the unbelievers who have rejected Christ and they are, are cast into hell. It says there in Revelation 20, 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That word death means separation. That is the root meaning of death, a separation. When you die, your soul is separated from the body. Your soul or your spirit are separated from the body. There's separation. And here, hell, the lake of fire, is described as the second death, the second separation, eternal separation from God. I think that's clearly the, the teaching here, the meaning, is that hell, forever, those who reject Christ are separated from God. Now, theologically, we know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So we know that God is present in hell. God is present everywhere. So what does it mean to be separated from God? You cannot be separated from somebody who's omnipresent. If he's everywhere, you cannot be separated from him. What does it mean to be separated from God? Well, well it means that God has withdrawn all the good aspects of his nature, all his good attributes. He's withdrawn his love, his favor, his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. He's withdrawn all that. He's still there, but now it's just his wrath. 
That's God. It's God's wrath. It's part of his nature. It's one of his attributes. But it's no longer tempered by his grace and mercy. Now it's just the wrath of God. I think you can probably understand what that means. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody who was on their phone? I mean, uh, they're there, especially a millennial. Have you ever tried to talk to a millennial while they're on their phone? <laughs> I mean, they're there, and they and you might talk to them, and they might have even respond with a grunt, you know, or a uh-huh, or a uh-uh, or, you know, maybe a, a one-syllable response. You might get a little bit of a response from them, but they're they're there, but they're not really engaged. They're not really listening. They're not really interacting the way that you would want them to interact with you. Uh, that's the way it is in hell. God is there, but it's just his wrath. It's nothing else. He has withdrawn his grace and his mercy and his love. And I think that's what happened to Jesus on the cross. On the cross, he got a taste of hell because he was our sin bearer, the, the perfect one. The one who is always in perfect fellowship with God the Father is now separated from the Father. Just like for all eternity, those who reject Christ will experience the same darkness, the same separation from God. Our sin bearer bore the, the punishment for our sins. He was separated from God so that we would not have to be separated from God. He died so that we might live. He took our place. I think that agony is... It's indescribable what, what Jesus went through. I don't think there are any adjectives that would do it justice. I don't think there's any way um, we could understand it. it. It's kind of like The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe. You remember that book? You remember that story? Uh, in that story, uh, Aslan, the, the Christ figure, the lion, the king, uh, he pays the price for the young man's sin, for Edmund's sin. Edmund sins, and he brings judgment upon himself. And Aslan the lion takes that judgment in his place. He says, take me instead. And so Aslan the mighty lion is brutally tortured and killed. But you remember the, the, some of the final words of Aslan the lion before he is killed, before he, he bears the, the punishment for Edmund. He's talking to the other two children, and he says to them, Edmund must never know. He can never know the suffering that Aslan went through. He, he can never know the price that Aslan paid to pay the price for Edmund's sin. And, and I think that's what we see here in this darkness, that, that God veiled the cross in darkness because we can't see what's going on. He, he didn't want us to look upon what's going on. We can't know. We, we can never fully understand the depths of agony that went through Christ, not, not just the physical suffering, that was just a small part of it, but the spiritual agony of being separated from God, we can never know. And, and it's made worse by the fact that God the Father and God the Son were in perfect harmony from all eternity past. And, and we see that in, in all of Scripture, in all of Scripture, that, that God the Father and God the Son are working together. In Matthew 3, at his baptism, when he was baptized, afterward, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. From the very beginning, the Father was pleased with 
the Son, and the heavens open to show the Father's pleasure with the Son. In John 3, 35, Jesus said this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The Father and the Son are one, and they're working together, and they love one another. John 8, 29, He who sent me, Jesus said, is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Pause and consider that in light of today's text. Earlier, Jesus said, the Father has not left me alone. Now upon the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said, I always do the things that please him. Jesus always obeys the Father and always pleases the Father, and the Father has not left him alone in John 8. In John 10, the, the last part of verse 38, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. They are one. They share the same divine Godhead, the same divine essence. Matthew 17, this is on the Mount of Transfiguration. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Again, at the end of his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized and God showed his pleasure with his son. At the end of his ministry, he was transfigured on the mountain. And God took that veil off for just a moment to reveal the glory of the son so that his glory might shine transparently. And God spoke from heaven again and said, I am well pleased with my son. Hear him. Listen to him. The father and the son were in this together. They loved one another. They, they were one. They, they had the same goal. The father had a plan, and the son was fulfilling that plan. In perfect harmony, they were working together on that plan. And yet, on the cross, Jesus is experiencing this most wretched condition. He is separated from God. God has, has left him. He had left him to his tormentors so he would suffer. Compare that to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, so many times, God's people cried out to God, and God heard them, and God delivered them. God blessed Noah and his family and saved them from destruction. God heard the cries of his people in Egypt, and he delivered them from Egypt with a mighty hand. God heard Daniel's prayer from the lion's den, and God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. God heard Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. And God sent his own son, Jesus, into that fiery furnace to save the three in the fiery furnace. Over and over and over again, God shows himself strong and mighty. And God saves his own and delivers them from harm. And yet here his own son is on the cross in that wretched condition, separated from God. And God stands silent and still and allows this to happen. Because it's part of his plan. In perfect harmony they are working together. And yet on that cross. Jesus cries out and he quotes the Psalms. He quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That forsaken is the saddest word. It is the most wretched condition. The second part of the verse is the most heart-wrenching question. That is the, the middle part. The why. We, we started at the end with the forsaken. What does, what does it mean to be forsaken? Now let's look at the question, why? That heart-wrenching question, why? 
And, and I think this is an important part. And I know that Jesus is quoting from the Psalms here. He's quoting from Psalm 22. But this is exactly what is on his heart. This is why the word of God is so powerful and meaningful to us. That even as, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, the, the, the words of the psalmist were exactly the words that he was feeling and that he needed at that time. And so this, this was the cry from his heart. And it was the question, why? I think God wanted us to know that there are times that we just don't understand. There are times when we just have to ask, why? I know some super-duper spiritual people uh, think that you should never question God and you should never ask the question, why? Um, maybe that works for them, but uh, I, I doubt if that works for, for you because I know it doesn't work for me either. You should trust God in all things. You shouldn't. Know that he is your fortress and your strength. But there are times when we just don't understand. There are times when it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask why. And I think we see that from the Old Testament. You remember the story of Job. Job was a righteous man, but he's also a rich man. And yet he lost everything that was important to him in the same day, all at the same time. All of his wealth and all of his family, his loved ones, except for his wife, he lost them all. If you remember the text, when he finally opened his mouth and spoke, he spoke a curse. He cursed the very day that he was born. But uh, not long after that, he asked a question in Job 3. You'll see this one word many times. The word is why. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Why the breast that I should nurse? Over and over again, why? Later on in the, in the book of Job, in Job chapter 13, this kind of sounds familiar. It kind of sounds like Jesus' quote from the cross. Job said, why do you hide your face and regard me as your enemy? It kind of sounds like, why have you forsaken me? It's the same thought there, the same concept, that God is hiding his face from me. And it's, it's almost as though God is my enemy now. And the question, why? Why? That is the most heart-wrenching question. It does come down to trusting God. It does come down to that. But we may never know the answer. We may never know the why. Perhaps God in his grace and in his goodness will reveal it to us. Perhaps there will be a day when uh, we can look back in the, at the crisis we're going through right now. And we'll say, wow, look what God has done through this crisis. In fact, um, I know you guys are really big on Twitter. I know you guys love Twitter. But uh, I saw a tweet from the president of Faith Baptist Bible College, Dr. Jim Tillotson. He must be big on Twitter, too. I don't know. But uh, I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll quote you his tweet. His tweet says this about today's current condition in which we live. He says, bars and theaters closed. Families spending more time with God and each other. Back in the day, they called that revival. Well, you know, he's probably got a point there, doesn't he? That even in this dark time, there's, there's a silver lining. And especially in this dark time, God is active. God is working. And we might not know exactly why God allows all this to happen, but we, we just trust him that he's got a plan, that he's doing something, that some good will come out of this. 
And so it does basically boil down to trusting God. The final part of Jesus saying is the, the most profound confirmation, and that comes at the beginning. We looked at the, the end, forsaken. That terrible word, what does that mean? We looked at the middle, why? That question, that heart-wrenching question. Now let's look at the beginning, because the beginning is actually the most positive part of the whole saying. He says, my God. Yeah, that they were in perfect harmony until this moment. In this moment, there's separation, there's darkness. God has forsaken the Son. And yet, Jesus still trusts. He says, this is my God. And remember, I said he's quoting from Psalm 22, so I think it would be good for us to look at Psalm 22 at this time. And this is what was on Christ's mind as he was crying out on the cross in the final moments of his life. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalm goes on. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. Uh, no doubt, Jesus knew exactly these words, and these words were, were going through his mind. They were very relevant to him as he was dying upon the cross. That's exactly what he felt from the, from the depth of his soul. That is exactly how he felt. But the psalm doesn't end there. It goes on. Verse 3, but. And, and this is another example of that, that great conjunction there, that great word, but. All those things are true. It's, it's like God has abandoned me. Why have you forsaken me? It's like you've left me alone. All that is true, but that's not all. There's more. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and we're not ashamed. This bold affirmation of faith and trust, this confirmation that God is my God. He is the Holy One. He is enthroned. He sits upon the throne. He is in control. And he's enthroned in our praises. He's worthy of our praise. Even when he has turned his back, even when he has abandoned his own son on the cross, he is worthy of our praise. And those who praise him will not be ashamed. They will not be disappointed. Those who trust in him will be delivered. It's, it's that bold confirmation, affirmation of trust that Jesus is pointing us to the, the positive, that profound confirmation that God is still my God. He is still on the throne. He is still the Holy One. Yet, in, in one sense, God abandoned Jesus in a way that he would never abandon us. God abandoned Jesus in the way that only those in hell are abandoned by God. If you are, do not know Christ as your Savior and you die in unbelief, you will be abandoned by God in hell forever. But if you know Christ as your Savior, you will never be forsaken by God in the way that Jesus was forsaken by God. He died so that we might live. He was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken, so that we might never have to experience that darkness. So that we might never have to pray this prayer and cry this cry. Even though it might seem like it, it might seem like God has abandoned us, just like Job cried out. It might seem like God is our enemy right now, but that's not the case. 
the reality is Christ is, is right there with us. God the Father is still on the throne, and his presence is with us. His grace and mercy are with us, and we can trust in him. That's the good news, the good news of this cry. And, it, and it's right there at the beginning, those first two words. Regardless what has happened between God the Father and God the Son, no matter what is going on in the depths of that darkness that we will never understand, Jesus wants everybody to know that the Father is still my God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It ends, that, that Psalm, Psalm 22, has that, that profound confirmation of faith and trust with that positive trust in God the Holy One, enthroned in the praise of his people. Let's close with a word of prayer.